0: Good evening, and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLLivingLoco and follow the podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's show, we're going to be taking a look at Winnipeg's trade history as we approach the deadline because, obviously, things are going to be in a little bit of a state of flux for the Jets over the next few weeks. As they continue to really get a chance to pull back in this playoff race and at least reassess and reevaluate where this team is, the trade deadline becomes an ever bigger issue for this team. But in the past, the Jets have already made some deals over over the past couple of trade deadlines or during off-season deals where Winnipeg had to make a move of some sort because, Maybe somebody wanted out, or there were some other issues going on. So I thought it'd be prudent to take a look back at what moves have the Jets made, how have they you know, panned out for the Jets, and what can we expect from this upcoming trade deadline, given where we are now. We're not going to cover every single trade that happened, but we're going to take a look at some of the more important ones from the past four or five years, starting with December 2014 with a trade of a player who actually shares part part of my name at least. Um, And this one is Jay Harrison for a 2015 sixth round pick from the Carolina Hurricanes. What's funny is at the time of this trade, I think the Jets' defensive unit was looking a little bit ragged from injury. I don't remember who all was sitting on the bench, uh, or at least on injured reserve, but Winnipeg was getting thin very quickly, and so the Jets brought in Jay Harrison, who I thought at the time was actually a pretty good trade acquisition. I really wasn't into at least underlying metrics or advanced statistical analysis at the time, so Harrison was sort of the prototypical shut down third pairing defenseman, at least that's what we all thought. If I recall correctly, he actually got top four time, sometimes I think on the second pair when he was, uh, I guess at the so-called peak of his glory for the Jets, but when you look back on Harrison's actual on-ice impact, it was not pretty. Defensively, his positioning was apparently not as good as I thought it was and he tended to have a lot of, I guess, scoring chances against, uh, especially on the high-danger spectrum that you usually want to avoid, and I feel like his profile most closely resembles that of Lucas Abisa. I'm sure if I watched footage of Harrison now from that season, I'd probably be more annoyed than anything. Over the past few years, I've definitely learned a lot about defensive positioning and total impact on how blue liners really change the shape of the game, and I feel like Jay Harrison is one of those guys who, given that he was like a sixth-round draft pick in value... That's probably what the Jets got out of him. I don't think that that trade was all that expensive, and if nothing else, the Jets got another warm body, which at the time they needed. I do wish they would have picked a much better defenseman than Harrison, but I guess for a sixth-round pick, it is what it is. It's kind of like acquiring, um, I guess, a Mark Stewart of, of a sort. Of course, that season really had a much bigger trade not too too long after that, just a couple of months actually, when the Jets were starting to really climb into the playoff picture, and that was dealing Evander Kane, Jason Kasdorf and Zach Bogosian to Buffalo for Brendan Lemieux, Joel Armia, Drew Stafford, Tyler Myers, and the 2015 first-round pick. That was a mega trade at the time, because Evander Kane was considered one of the hottest properties in the NHL, and at the time he actually seemed to want out of Winnipeg. What really kind of kick-started it was that whole Bufflin throwing his tracksuit into the shower incident that seemed to basically put the rift and the nail in the coffin between Kane and the Jets. Although it had been building for a while, I feel like this was sort of the last draw, and Winnipeg was basically done with Kane and, I suppose, Bogosian as well. Kasdorff really wasn't a piece of the puzzle that made too much sense. He was, at best, going to be a backup for the Jets, but I feel like, given where his career's gone, no one really is going to pay too much mind to that particular part of the deal. What the Jets got in return is something interesting, because they got Brendan Lemieux, Joel Armia, Stafford, and Myers. Now, Stafford and Myers were immediately impactful for the Jets' playoff run. Stafford is... Not exactly a top six forward, and he wasn't at the time that he was traded for either. Really, he only had one particular skill set, and that is scoring, which it's fine to have poachers every now and then, but unfortunately Stafford was just bad at everything else. And even though I wasn't really heavily into underlying metrics at the time, I feel like even I could see that Stafford's value was unfortunately a little bit one-dimensional. It's not like he's particularly bad, he's just not exactly, you know... A great player and at the time that the Jets got him he did help a lot because Winnipeg needed more scoring up front especially on the power play and Stafford's shooting percentage I think was a little bit inflated so you know he makes sense because Buffalo probably didn't want to keep him around but he could be of service to the Jets and then Winnipeg also picked up Tyler Myers Myers in his early Buffalo career was surprisingly good he was a big powerful skater booming shot really intelligent attacking defenseman but Uh, Over the past couple of years, he sort of declined, and it really hit hard very quickly. When he first got to the Jets, things were looking all right. He was an immediate contributor on this back end, and basically, I I think people assumed that he would be like Bufflin's understudy, so to speak, although Myers really doesn't play anywhere near the same kind of game. I'd say like he was pimped up uh, Rasmus Ristolainen would be the the closest I could think of. And Myers was pretty decent early on. I feel like he actually did some good things for the Jets, and he was a pivotal force for part of the playoffs, at least. But again, um, once you kind of dig into his underlying on-ice impacts, especially on the defensive side of things, it's clear that after those initial runs, Myers started to really struggle. He had one other really good season for the Jets, but beyond that, Tyler hasn't really done a whole lot. If anything, he's something of a negative defensive presence on the ice, whether it's with this really poor decision-making under pressure or the fact that he just doesn't have very good defensive positioning and can't stay healthy. Letting him go to Vancouver in free agency was certainly the best decision that the Jets have made regarding his contract situation. Even though he's a super nice guy and he wanted to stay The money just wasn't there, and frankly, Myers isn't good enough to be paid like 5 or $6 million. Sure, he'd be better than Lucas Ibiza and Anthony Boteto to some degree, but certainly not worth that price of admission and not for the term that he was asking for. Lemieux and Armia are arguably two of the most interesting pieces as far as the NHLers that got exchanged, because Lemieux was a really terrible forward for us, but ever since he got traded, uh, which we'll talk about later, but he was part of the Jacob Trouba package, Um, Lemieux has been a surprisingly capable bottom six forward, sometimes effective even, as long as he isn't asked to do much, just drive towards the net and park his butt there. Armia, on the other hand, is somebody who is very interesting from both a technique and underlying impact perspective, because Armia for the Jets was like a two-way power winger with some offensive upside, but I feel like, generally speaking, we were all kind of frustrated that the amount of scoring talent that he seemed to possess never really showed itself. He was a quality penalty killer, which we could have used right now, and he was a pretty decent middle six wing, but the stuff that he's been doing for the Montreal Canadiens has been notably better than what he produced for the Jets. I imagine a lot of that is just more ice time yielding, you know, a higher points total, but I also feel like his game just overall improved under Claude Julien, which is fine. I think that Julien can get the most out of guys who have Armia's skill set. Unfortunately, he didn't really pan out for us in the way that we'd probably hope, but I would say that he was a pretty capable NHLer, and so I feel like You know, the Jets did lose because they gave up the best player in Evander Kane, but several years on, that trade has continued to look pretty decent because Bogosian's definitely declined. Uh, Kane is not even with Buffalo anymore. He was traded not too, too long after that deal happened, like a season or two later. And I believe that first-round pick that they got in that deal ended up becoming Jack Roslovic. So, all in all, I think the Jets did about as well as you can for a guy who wants to leave your team. At the 2014-15 trade deadline, Winnipeg also ended up picking up guys like Yuri Tlusti and Lee Stepniak. I am definitely a Lee Stepniak fan, and the guy seems to have traveled to almost every NHL team in existence since the dawn of time. Stepniak uh, before he retired, was actually a fairly productive middle six to top six forward with both play-driving ability, and a pretty decent release. For some reason, the Jets just didn't want to keep him around after the magical playoff run, and I i always felt like that was kind of a mistake because I felt like he was a pretty good contributor, and he could actually reasonably slide into your top six and be an effective forward. Tlusti was like your prerequisite, bottom six, skill, grindery kind of guy, and that's fine. I mean, Tlusti wasn't really anything special for the Jets, but I think he only cost, um, looks like a 2015 conditional sixth-round pick, and a 2016 third-round pick. The third-round pick is a little high for my tastes, but it wasn't like a deal-breaker. Stepniak was way better value, though, because all we gave up was Carl Klingberg, and I'm not sure if Klingberg is actually still with the Rangers organization. I'm pretty sure he only spent, like, two seasons there before he ended up moving on. He was pretty much an AHLer for the rest of his career anyways, so what the Jets got in Stepniak during the playoff run and their, uh, I guess, end-of-regular-season run, really good performance, tons of points relative to his time on ice, just a great trade deadline acquisition all around. In the following season, which was 2015-2016, Winnipeg also began to realize that, you know, Andrew Ladd wasn't going to be sticking around for a while because they'd re-signed Dustin Bufflin, and Ladd wanted too much money, and he basically wanted the same contract, which the Jets just weren't really on board with, and Ladd was kind of more of an expendable asset. The Jets traded him, Jay Harrison, and Matt Fraser for Marco Deneau, a 2016 first-round pick, and a 2018 conditional third-round pick. I don't recall what came of the conditional third-round pick, but I definitely know what happened with the first-round pick, which we'll talk about in just a moment. But Marco Danoa I think, was actually a very smart acquisition that never really panned out for the Jets. Deneau was a very skilled, hard-charging, hard-checking, great offensive ward with a pretty dynamic skill set, but unfortunately he just couldn't get off of Maurice's bad side. What's funny is, in a lot of ways, Marco Deneau is actually kind of a real Paul Maurice player. He's like Brandon Tanev if Brandon Tanev had better hands. He was very energetic, very skilled. He had a pretty nice release, good passing, good vision. Um, his edge work is not amazing, but all around, Deneau was a very solid middle six forward. And given the fact that Ladd wasn't going to stay around, and Jay Harrison and Matt Fraser are basically AHLers at best, I think that the Jets did okay. I mean, the first-round pick was nice. What the Jets did with that first-round pick was, un- unfortunately, not quite as nice. During that uh, the following draft for that off season. Winnipeg ended up trading up in the first round to, to get to spot number 18, um, and they sent Philadelphia spot number 22. It'd be one thing if the Jets got a really great prospect with that number 18 pick, but they ended up taking Logan Stanley, and I, I don't really need to tell you about Logan Stanley. I think most Jets fans have an opinion on this one way or the other. Bottom line is that pick was not good value, and what Winnipeg gave up, they ended up giving up a, uh, a second-round pick as well from the same draft and only got a third-round pick back in exchange all for trading up. Meanwhile, Philadelphia picked Herman Rupsov, who actually looks to have a a pretty decent NHL future if it can put it all together. That same draft, though, I think was the Sam Girard draft, and there were a lot of better defensemen who are actually in the NHL right now as we speak over Logan Stanley, so obviously things from that trade don't look all that great. The trade itself, fine if you're trading up and, and make sure that you get A prospect of real promise and somebody who can be a a really long-time contributor, but the Jets just didn't get anything like that. Logan Stanley might be a decent third-pairing guy down the road, but that's a pretty big stretch. After that, Winnipeg wasn't really too active until uh, basically the Golden Knights came around. Right before then, Winnipeg ended up sending Drew Stafford to the Boston Bruins for a conditional sixth-round pick, which is fine. I mean, Stafford is basically, at this point, a fourth-line forward, and I don't recall him actually doing All that much for the Bruins. Maybe a couple of goals here and there. Winnipeg, though, ended up trading uh, a first-round pick and a third-round pick for, I believe, Vegas' first-round pick. And if I recall correctly, that was to protect someone like Marco Deneau or Nick Patan. I don't 100% remember, but basically they were just paying Vegas not to take one of their roster players uh, of any particular note. I think Vegas ended up picking Chris Thorburn instead probably not the greatest use of assets, but I mean, it's whatever. Everyone was kind of curious as to how Vegas would play everything, and it seems like most teams overpaid the Knights just to uh, protect their existing rosters. What's funny is Vegas very quietly did a lot of research on the back end and invested in guys who could find really underrated talents from the available selection choices, and Vegas still ended up going up to the uh, to the Stanley Cup Finals the season that they entered the NHL. Not everything ends up for the best, right? The last minor trade that we'll talk about before we start getting into some of the bigger, more recent ones was Winnipeg acquiring Joe Morrow from the Montreal Canadiens for a 2018 fourth-round pick. I feel like given how many games Morrow played and actually played at least at, at replacement level, if not above replacement level, I mean, I wouldn't have really enjoyed that deal all that much, but Morrow was fine as like a third pairing or, or seventh defenseman, which is probably more than they're going to get out of that fourth-round pick. I'm personally not a Joe Morrow fan by any stretch of the imagination. I think defensively he had a ton of deficiencies, and you know he was supposed to be this guy with like a a big booming shot, but he really didn't know how to use it all that much. When he was a Bruin, he was thought to be like a top four prospect because of his edge work and his offensive skill, but to be honest, neither of those ever really translated into all that much. And I'm actually not sure what Morrow was doing these days. He was, in my mind, like a lesser version of Ben Sherat, and I really didn't love Ben Sherat either after, you know, he got separated from Dustin Bufflin and people kind of saw that, yeah, Sherratt's more like an average third-pairing defenseman than anything. Getting above-average performance from your defenseman may be hard, but what isn't difficult is partnering with Locked On Podcasts for an advertising campaign. If you've been listening for a while, I'm sure you've heard about all the great advertisers currently working with Locked On Sports to reach podcast listeners all around the nation. What you may not know is that Locked On Winnipeg Jets is a great way for your local business to reach passionate Winnipeg Jets fans just like you. Unlike any other podcast out there, Locked On gives your local company the unique ability to reach Jets fans on a daily basis. These aren't just any fans, they're Locked On fans. And if you're interested in broadcasting to a predominantly male audience that's well-educated and with disposable income, then feel free to drop us a line at Locked On. Local fans love supporting local businesses, and we love supporting you. Text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com ADVERTISING and drop us a line. Our team will work with you step-by-step step to help achieve the greatest level of Locked On advertising success. Once again, be sure to text the word ADVERTISING to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcasts.com ADVERTISING. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Wrapping up our trade sequence, we have a couple of bigger deals that the Jets have made over the past couple of seasons, and I think the first one that I, you know, certainly really enjoy as far as trade deadline deals go, and it wasn't cheap, but it was it was really good, it was for Paul Stastny, which was a surprise deal because Winnipeg was trying to get Derek Broussard out of, I think, the Ottawa Suns at the time, if not the New York Rangers, but... Vegas conspired with the Pittsburgh Penguins to ensure that didn't happen, so Stastny kind of came out of the blue, almost last minute. The deal involved Eric Foley, a conditional first-round pick, and a 2020 conditional fourth-round pick. Foley was a pretty decent prospect at the time, like a middle six winger, but unfortunately a lot of his career has been derailed by injuries. I think we did actually meet the conditions of the first-round pick to go to the Blues, but I just don't remember what it was. Looking back on it, it actually appears that it was just a lottery protection, which is fine because the Jets didn't win the lottery. They were way too good for that, I'll tell you that. But it's nice to have the lottery protection just in case something super weird happens. Stastny was a huge difference maker for this team, and he really, um, he almost got us to a cup. We were super close, and obviously it would have been nice to bring him back, would have been a really nice to have, and I feel like he would have made the team a cup contender the consecutive year if he stayed, but Vegas, again, ended up conspiring against Jets to re-sign him to a, a pretty big contract that, for the Knights, seemed to be pretty good. Stastny, when he's fully healthy and at, at full strength, is a fantastic playmaking center with a lot of play-driving potential. Uh, not too long after that, in the offseason, Winnipeg ended up having to make some salary dumps, and that included Joel Armia and Steve, Steve Mason, which Winnipeg basically paid uh, the Montreal Canadiens to take Mason. Mason, I feel like... Would have been nice to have as a backup goalie if he'd been able to stay healthy and really perform, but unfortunately his contract just didn't work out. Armia was also going to ask for a bigger contract than we felt he warranted at the time. Obviously, looking back on it, he's been pretty decent for Montreal, and I feel like maybe the Jets could have kept them around if they'd wanted to. He would have been a nice fit for the squad, but again, the money didn't seem like it was going to work, and the Jets have a lot of guys like that in their system at least, based on the time that the trade happened. We have someone like Janssen Harkins, who I feel like is Joel Armia's successor, basically. So, Winnipeg probably figured they could in-house it. The Jets made a few minor league deals in between, but their next slightly more notable deal was probably mostly notable just for us Jets fans who really love Nick Patan. He got sent to the Toronto Maple Leafs for par Lindholm, and I've always hated this deal because it's obvious Patan is a much better player and continues to produce at the AHL level. Lindholm was an alright fourth liner, although he could be really bad at times, It's just more frustrating that the Jets never really utilized Patan in the way that he should have been, and the fact that he couldn't get out of Maurice's doghouse is really a shame. I felt like he had at one point top six potential, and he continually displays a ton of vision and skill at the minor league level, and he showed some really good underlying results at the NHL level. He was the guy that should have been and kind of got away, but every team seems to have that nowadays. I just hope that Patan finds happiness somewhere else. Beyond that, Winnipeg acquired guys like Nate Boliou and Bogdan Kisilovich in the, uh, I guess, the trade deadline playoff run that the Jets were trying to go on, and then the big deal was picking up Kevin Hayes from the New York Rangers for Brendan Lemieux, uh, a 2019 first-round pick, and a 2022 conditional fourth. Hayes is a very good player, but the Jets basically used him as a fourth-liner, and he really didn't get a whole lot of ice time, even though he scored at a pretty high um, primary scoring rate. So, kind of an unfortunate deal what was funny was the Jets then dealt uh, Kevin Hayes to the Flyers for a 2019 fifth round pick during the offseason and then with the Rangers closing in they moved Jacob Trouba to New York and picked up that same 2019 first round pick that they'd sent to New York for Kevin Hayes back in the deal that sent Trouba to New York and also brought us Neil Pionk Somehow this entire trade had come full circle of sending the first for Kevin Hayes and the first round pick coming back to us in exchange for Jacob Truba. And so, I, I don't know, it's sort of weird. I felt like at the time I didn't like the Truba trade all that much, but it turns out that first round pick became Vili Heinola, and Neil Pionk has actually been a really functional second-pairing defenseman. Morrissey and Truba apart haven't really been all that great, so I feel like the Jets even though at the time they lost the trade, have actually won it longer term. You know, Truba's on an $8 million deal, and it's probably not likely that he's going to improve all that much. Pionk is already outproducing him, relatively speaking, on both the power play and I think it even strength in terms of defensive impact. So, uh, all in all, I'm pretty happy with that deal. It's one of the few that's probably aged better for the Jets than some of the other deals that they've made. And, uh, you know... I can live with the return if Neil Pionk continues to be a good top-four defenseman and Vili Heinola eventually step, steps up into like a, a top-pairing role, which it seems likely he will. All of this is to say Winnipeg has made a lot of big splashes in the past when they've been at least feeling like they're going to get close to a, a Stanley Cup playoff spot and very possibly a Cup run. I think this year they're going to be a little bit more modest because, A, the market kind of sucks, and B, the Jets just aren't nearly as good as they were several years ago. I say not nearly as good, but to, to put it quite bluntly, the Jets are pretty bad. And even though they've played more like an average NHL team over the past couple of weeks, I feel like that's not really enough to push the needle in the direction that says, yes, it's time to compete right now, let's go for it. The Jets can actually go for it, relatively speaking, right now with their roster that they've got, but if they can find like a cost-controlled top-four defenseman like, oh, say, Jonas Brodeen, I think that that would be something that pushes them a little bit further in the direction of being competitive. Brodeen, maybe Dylan DeMello. You know, as long as these assets are within reason for price, I would be more than happy for the Jets to acquire them, because you can keep them longer term and boost this defensive unit at least long enough until the Jets get reinforcements. Winnipeg hasn't been afraid to shake up the script, despite the fact that there's the impression that the Jets never really make moves, and yes, while they don't make as many blockbuster deals, they certainly haven't shied away from doing it when they feel they're in a position to do so. I don't think that position is right now, this season. But if they start to feel like they need to move some assets around, especially guys like Jack Roslovic and whatnot, you know, keep an eye out. The Jets might make a splash in this trade market sooner rather than later, especially if they feel there's a good deal to be had and they can move some of their forward depth out for more defensive depth that they can rely on. As always, everyone, thanks so much for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Be sure to drop a, a follow on our Twitter accounts and make sure you're subscribing to the podcast app of your choice. Thanks again so much, have a great night, and go Jets go!